Let us come to God in prayer. Let us pray. Love divine, come amongst us now. Give us ears to hear your voice amongst all the words that we might follow after you. And so we ask that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be acceptable, would be open to you, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I wonder how you would define wisdom. It's a lot harder than you might first imagine. And I guess if you were to try and give me something, you could come up with something quite like the Cambridge Dictionary, which says that wisdom is the ability to use your knowledge and experience to make good decisions and judgments. I won't ask for a straw poll on whether you want to go for that definition or not. But if you were to go with that definition, then when you read about two kinds of wisdom here, you might start to get a little bit confused with James because he talks about wisdom in a different way. Or what about the word peace? <clears throat> the Cambridge Dictionary um, has a couple of descriptions and it summarizes those two positions as no violence and having a sense of calm. That that's what peace is. And again, you might come up with something quite different and not quite get where James is coming from because peace for him is much richer. Because he comes from a Jewish background, he's now a Christian, a leader of the Christian church, but he is saturated in the scriptures of the Old Testament. And so he understood peace and wisdom in quite different ways, in quite fuller ways than we might just reduce them down to in the dictionary. And we'll get to those in a moment. Because in case you're worrying that this is going to be more a lecture with me unpacking lots of definitions of words, let me just show you these four pictures. You may have seen some of these pictures in the news or uh, online or such like. You may have heard about them or read about them. What we have in the red here is Kate Forbes, SMP minister. Uh, bottom right, Franklin Graham, American evangelist. In the middle, Israel Folau, rugby player. And on the left-hand side, Destiny Church, Edinburgh. And in a moment, I'll get around to talking about why I think these are relevant to our passage but I'm wanting to raise them with you this morning because I think it's important that we are aware of them and we are aware of what may be happening within our society. So let's get into James and then see how, um, how what he writes here is relevant for these scenarios. We might first wonder why he even begins talking about wisdom. After all, it seems like another blunt change of topic, words to wisdom. But remembering this proverb might help. The tongue of the wise adorns knowledge, and the mouth of the fool gushes folly. And we see here that, that wisdom and the tongue are closely connected in the Scriptures. And so for James, it's quite natural to progress from talking about our words to talking about wisdom. So in verse 13, he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in the humility that comes from wisdom. And this is the, the overarching thought for these verses on wisdom. So what is he saying here? He asserts that someone who is wise will show humility and good deeds in their life. Again, what is wisdom? And what is humility? Let's start with wisdom. Wisdom from a biblical perspective is much more than that 
tepid dictionary definition. It's much more than the ability to make simply good decisions. It's much more than pragmatic advice. From a, wis from a biblical perspective, wisdom has a beginning and a goal summarized by this verse in Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. This kind of expression is used 18 times in the book of Proverbs. It's used many times elsewhere. Wisdom begins by having reverence, by having fear of the Lord. It's a recognition of, of who is actually God, that there is a God, and that He has a character and nature which is holy and all-powerful. But wisdom is more than just having that knowledge in your head. It leads to an understanding, a knowing that transforms your life. If you were to go to back into Genesis and read about Adam and Eve, we read that Adam knew Eve, knew her in a way that changed both their lives forever. So wisdom includes a knowledge, a knowing that changes the course of our lives. It includes a reverence that leads to obedience. But biblical wisdom is much more than than having awareness of God, it is also understanding what God is up to in the world. I quoted at the beginning of the service these words from the Apostle Paul to the first Corinthians. He said, Jews demand signs and Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those whom God has called, both Jew and Greek, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. And what Paul's saying is this, when Jesus was crucified, Jews thought it was weakness, and Greeks or Gentiles thought it was foolishness, for Jews knew that someone crucified was under the curse of God, and Gentiles knew that crucifixion was the most humiliating of deaths, reserved for the, the worst of traitors. Both Jew and Gentile knew, they just knew that Jesus could not be the promised Messiah. He could not be God in the flesh, coming to save the world, or so they thought. But the church for 2,000 years has argued differently, that the cross was the epitome of God's wisdom and strength, because there he defeated death, there he conquered sin and the enemies of hell, securing for us life eternal. Nevertheless, many Jews and Gentiles could not see what God was doing through Jesus. And so they could not live in response to God's actions. They could, not, they could not have wisdom in the biblical sense. Jim says, Who is wise and understanding among you, let them show it by their good life, by deeds done and the humility that comes from wisdom. To have wisdom includes reverence for God, and an understanding of what God is up to in the world, and then living in response. From this, from such true wisdom, comes humility, as James says. Because with wisdom comes a right understanding of ourselves before God. We realize that He is God, not us. That He should be calling the shots, not us. We realize also that the life that we have is a gift a gift. We realize also our limitations. We realize too how messed up and broken we are. 
that how much we just push God to the side and yet he still loves us, loves us enough to come and die for us. It's no wonder knowing this God and revering this God and knowing what this God is up to in the world should create in us humility, leaving no room for pride or selfishness. And as a result, through humility created by true wisdom, a way of life should be seen that is good and is seen in good deeds. And all of that, James captures in one verse. And then he springboards into a description of false wisdom. He writes, But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. James speaks of false wisdom, which is empty of humility, leading to envy and selfish ambition, culminating in disorder and a deepening moral crisis. Again, the words that James used here are very meaningful. Bitter envy is wishing for others to have less or be less. Selfish ambition is being power-hungry and status-seeking, so much so that it leads to divisiveness. James highlights for us the, the perils of selfish individualism, which he says does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. Again, more meaningful words. Earthly or earthbound, we might say, shuts out God. It's a false kind of wisdom because it just wants to focus our eyes on the present and on the physical. Unspiritual is used when human feeling and human reason reign supreme in our lives. It tells God to take a hike and unseats him from the throne of our hearts. False wisdom has no fear of the Lord, and so it is unspiritual. It has no reverence, and so it is demonic. It is against, it is opposed to God. And unsurprisingly, as James says there at the end, it leads to disorder and every evil practice. This disorder is not only at an individual level, it is at a level of community, maybe even a level of society. Disorder here speaks of commotion, confusion, restlessness. The same word, same root word is used in Luke 21 verse 9 to talk about uprisings. Jesus there was saying that before he returns, there will be uprisings, there will be restlessness, there will be unsettled global affairs prior to his return. And there will also be increasing persecution, particularly of the church. So let me pause and bring us back to those pictures. Kate Forbes, Frank and Graham, Israel Folau, and Destiny Church. You may not have heard about them, but I've been directed to a number of really helpful sources which highlight some issues around these four scenarios. Kate Forbes is a committee Christian. Uh, she goes to church every week and delivered just a few weeks ago the Scottish Government budget. I think she's about 29 years old. Yet she's now been targeted by members of her own party. One such SNP member uh, said, the last thing our party needs is Kate Forbes climbing the ladder when she has such questionable views on equality. 
as evidence of these questionable views, that individual linked to a letter published in the Scotsman last year, authored by a total of 15 female MSPs, Kate Forbes being one, and these MSPs raise concerns over the Scottish Government's proposed changes to the Gender Recognition Act. And as far as I know, Kate Forbes is the only one who's been targeted by this SNP member. But she's also the only one that goes to church. She's the only one that's a Christian. She's the only one that holds an orthodox view of human sexuality. And then there are the cases of Franklin Graham, Israel Folau, and Destiny Church, and they all have a degree of similarity between them, though there are nuances. Each one in turn has faced a degree of censure because they hold and have expressed Orthodox Christian views on human sexuality. Franklin Graham was booked to speak at the Hydro Centre in Glasgow as part of a UK tour. And that venue is part owned by Glasgow City Council. And Susan Aitken, the SNP Council leader, um, said that allowing the event to go ahead could fundamentally breach the Council's statutory equalities duties. I.e., allowing Graham to come and speak here could break the law. Franklin Graham has not attacked anyone. He has not spoken any hate crime, but he appears to be penalised for his views, um, not being in alignment with the current popular view. And to some commentators, it would appear to be discrimination based on religious beliefs. And it may be that the council is going to have to explain how they're not in breach of the Equalities Act. A similar situation is with Destiny Church. Just two weeks ago, um, their annual conference was cancelled by the Usher Hall in Edinburgh because the speakers held an orthodox Christian view on human sexuality. Jumping back to the, the scenario with Glasgow City Council and Franklin Graham, one commentator wrote, Miss Aitken is saying that because of equality, someone who holds a view which is, for the moment, still legal, can be banned on the basis that it would be breaking the law to have him speak. Given that the Catholic Church, the Church of England, and most evangelical churches hold the view that sex outside marriage is wrong and marriage is between a man and a woman, does this mean that the churches are against the law? Now, David Robertson kind of likes to poke the bear. Uh, he doesn't really hold back, and it, sometimes he can be really annoying. Um, but there's a bit of me that thinks he's maybe got a point, which is why I quoted him. Um, he goes on to talk about the intolerance of tolerance within our society. And in case you think, oh, David Robertson, retired, slightly retired uh, free church minister, he's kind of crazy and he's kind of really out there and we should just ignore him. Uh, this last week, I heard an interview on BBC Five Live uh, for Inside Track. It was dated the 30th of January 2020, so just a few weeks old. And, and on it, Martin Bashir, uh, the BBC religious editor, spoke about uh, the Israel Folau situation and was engaging in conversation with some people on, that, on the show. And in it, he referred to a term called totalitolerance. I've been practicing getting my tongue around that one. <laughs> totalitolerance. So here you go. You can talk about that over the dinner table or at work this week. And he summarized that as a worldview which says, unless you agree with every single view that I have and I embrace, I want nothing to do with you and will run you out of town. Now, I know that we are a very mixed bunch of Christians here. And we will have different 
opinions on human sexuality and any number of other issues. But I would affirm, I believe that we are a place where one and all of us can call this place our spiritual home. Yet in the four situations I've outlined, it feels like there's something not quite right. That instead of free speech, we have maybe a form of total tolerance developing within our society. That actually in the name of, it, of tolerance and equality, we have a form of intolerance. And all this brings to mind that famous quote probably misattributed to Voltaire, I do not agree with what you have to say, but I'll defend to the death your right to say it. We, as Christians, we might say, well, Christians should have the right to proclaim their faith in China and X, Y, and Z, and we stand up for free speech. Do we stand up for free speech here as well? It's often been cited in support of free speech, this quote, because whether we agree with the content or not, free speech is central to democracy. And freedom of speech is only worth something when it affirms the freedom of all people, including the ones we disagree with. So how does that connect with what we have in James today? Well, I wonder, as I say, if we are seeing growing evidence of intolerance, of total tolerance. I wonder if in this we are seeing something of the false wisdom spoken by James. In that false wisdom there is bitter envy, wherein people wish for others to have less or be less. James also spoke of disorder, of ambition that leads to divisiveness, and of a deepening moral crisis. Don't we see something of that in something of this false wisdom in our society and maybe in these situations? I worry that we do because a life, a community, a society which is marked by true wisdom displays something quite different as James makes clear. He says, but the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. James says that true wisdom is pure, listing it first to give it priority because purity is a prerequisite for the other attributes. Purity for James is an unmixed devotion to God. It is got the same root as our words hallowed and holy, we get also purity from that same root word. A person can also be called pure who has, shares in the character of God, who walks in God's ways. With such purity, true wisdom should be humble as we've seen. It should have an appropriate understanding of self, giving true reverence to God. And because of all of that, it leads to these other characteristics. True wisdom is peace-loving, it, it seeks unity at oneness, it seeks good relationships. True wisdom is considerate, which is a way of grouping together ideas like gentleness, patience, kindness. True wisdom is submissive, or we might say teachable, willing to yield to the truth of God. True wisdom with unity and kindness and humility allows a people, allows even a community or society to be conscious of the neediness and the helplessness of others so that 
mercy and good fruit are seen in practical action. But that practical action shows no favoritism. It is impartial. And because of that humble gentleness and seeking after true unity, it will not show hypocrisy or pretense. It is sincere, favoring only truth. And what is striking, and I don't have time to go into it today, but what is striking is that all these characteristics are there in God and in how he deals with us today. This PowerPoint will go up on the website if you want to dig deeper into this, maybe in your own time, because true wisdom is reflective of God's character. As such, true wisdom puts to death envy. It eradicates selfish ambition. There should be no disorder or propagation of base actions with true wisdom, and instead we should see peace and righteousness which leads to James's final conclusion on wisdom. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. The peace that James speaks of is, is influenced by the Old Testament, where the word peace is known as shalom, which is more than the absence of conflict. It's more than just having calm, and it's more than nonviolence. Shalom exists where things are whole and healthy and complete. And so the Old Testament speaks of shalom in a way that is multidimensional, where well-being is, is spiritual, it's also psychological, it's physical, but it is also social. Tim Keller, writing about shalom, talks about social shalom and says, shalom would be seen in people sharing resources with each other and working together so that shared public services work. The environment is safe and beautiful that schools educate, businesses flourish, and poverty and hunger are minimal. When shalom comes upon a community, even a society, there would be wholeness of relationships with truth, righteousness, and justice evident. And because of such depth to shalom, even just social shalom, James speaks of peacemakers, rather than peacekeepers. A peacemaker sometimes has to confront the issues, the problems needing addressed, disrupting a community or even a society in order to deal with the root issue. Peacemakers work to make peace, tilling the ground, rooting out the weeds, and as they do, they create an environment whereby their labor leads to a harvest of righteousness, a harvest that is reflective of God and thus true wisdom. So when voices raise up in our media or amongst our politicians or when public venues refuse a platform for voices that they disagree with, does this speak of true wisdom? Does it convey humility, gentleness? and openness to the other, even amidst disagreement? Is it impartial? Is it being honest about its motives? Personally, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure that the intolerance of tolerance or the total tolerance that is creeping into society is true wisdom. Brothers and sisters, 
Jesus calls us to be salt and light in the world, shining his light, his true wisdom, that all might see more clearly and so find true life. We're also to bear his distinctive flavor so that like salt, we might bring forth the best in the world and flavor it with Jesus. It has to begin first at home, in our own lives, in our families, in our church community. We have to embody this wisdom and seek after it. And thankfully, James reminds us that this wisdom comes from above. It's from God. This isn't just learned behavior or understanding. God gives if we but ask. So here's my question. For the sake of yourself, for the sake of our church family, for the sake even of our society, Will we humble ourselves and seek God's wisdom? Will we continue to dig into His Word? Will we ask for His spirit of wisdom and revelation? Because God is ready to give true wisdom. That we might usher in a bit more of that shalom and be true peacemakers, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. Will we be truly known as the children of God? Will we seek after true wisdom and true peace? I pray it may be so. Amen.